right, we're hitting week four, and I love that last line there, love seizes the opportunity. You know, love doesn't let the opportunity go by. Uh, we saw in John 3.16, and I won't get into much review because uh, I want to stay on point today, uh, but we saw in John 3.16 the whole kind of baseline of this series is, for God so loved the world that it caused him to take action. He did something with that love. He didn't sit on it. He didn't put a bumper sticker on his car and call it good. He said, because of my love, I have so much love. I'm going to take great action. Love does. It's an action word. Uh, The scripture says that he so loved the world, meaning everybody. He's for everybody. There is no people group. There is no type that he says, hey, I'm not for them. I don't have love. Uh, They're unreachable. As a church, our mindset, we need to so love the world that we give of ourselves to reach all kinds. Are you with me? Uh, John 13, 35, what we love about God is, uh, he said, with this scripture right here, by, by this everyone will know that you are my, dis- my disciple if you love one another. And so he lets us go live out the God kind of love, his way of living. What we love about God is he came and he showed us how to live. And he's saying, hey, if you live like this, this is how the world is going to know that you're one of my disciples is if you have love for one another. Not if you get your opinions right, not if you get all your stuff pinpointed and all your you know, Christianese lined up. No, if you go out and you love one another, you live the way I showed you to live. And then what we love about God is he empowered us to live it. We saw in John 14, 12, it says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to be with my father. So that's raising the dead, that's healing the sick, that's praying for one, all the things that we saw Jesus do. He's saying, look, I've equipped you to go do, love does, you're good to go do all these things. It's like God has released you and empowered you to go people, be people who use their love, God's love on the inside of us to go make a difference. Are you with me? And one of the things that I see is just that as Christians, we're so stuck. You know, you've heard me say so many times that uh, neutral, the position of neutral or not moving forward is not natural to God. Scripture says we go from glory to glory. God always wants to see us advancing his kingdom and in growing in who we are with him. The scripture says that the love of God in us should abound more and more as we learn to walk with him. And so growth is an important thing. And I think to be able to grow, you have to be on the offense. You have to be the aggressor. You have to be somebody who goes after things in our community. Uh, We can't always wait uh, for things to show up at our doorstep. Listen, to reach 887 people in a week, to, to connect with all these different things, that took a large group of people willing to be on the offense and go out and make a difference and connect with our city. Are you with me? That's a lot of people, 887. That's a lot of people to connect with in a week, especially when pastors only work on Sunday. You know, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Bill. <laughs> uh, or, okay, so let's stay on point. And so one of my favorite stories, and if you've been with us uh, for any amount of time, you've probably heard me share this scripture before. I think I shared it in our first year uh, in a series that we did called Make War. But in Judges chapter 7, verse 13, it gives us an amazing story about how God goes before us. Don't be hesitant in what God calls you into. Don't be reserved. Don't let your love be on pause or be stuck or be uh, nervous or, or it's because God is going before you and he's set the victory already ahead of you. Are you with me? And there's a great story of it here in Judges 7, 7 verse 13. It says, and when Gideon had come, So here's the story. Gideon and his guy, they're going to check out a a camp of who they're going to go essentially enter into battle with. And so they're going to show up there. 
and they're scoping the land. And it says, when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Verse 14. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered the Midian in the whole camp. Has delivered Midian in the whole camp. Verse 15. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of the Midian into your hand. Before they even thought, fought the battle, the victory was already in position. Are you with me? Gideon was going to the enemy's camp, and they were already having a nightmare about him. So he's going to scout it. He's going to look to see how to be successful in it. And when he gets there, he realizes that his enemy is already afraid of him. They're scouting it. Oh, how are we going to be able to do it? Maybe they walked into it with some intimidation. And when they get there, they realize that the enemy is intimidated about them. That's how God works. Are you with me? When you take a step out of your boat or you take a a step across the sea or whatever God calls you into, when he's called you into it, if you trust him, you need to know that you're not the one who should be intimidated. It's the enemy who should be intimidated because you're going with the word of the Lord. Amen. God says this to Gideon. He says, assemble an army. Uh, An angel shows up to him and says, assemble an army. And the angel calls him a mighty man of valor. But at this time, he's literally hiding scared in a cave, not feeling like a mighty man of valor. Why does the angel show up and call him a mighty man of valor? Because we got to be a people who speak the things that are not as though they are, right? The things that God wants to do even though you can't see it and make sense of it. We got to be people that believe that God has more ahead of us than what we can just put together with what's in front of us. Love does. It calls us into action. Let's go make a difference. Uh, I believe that we need to put hell on the run. We need to be intimidating the gates of hell. Trust me, this world has seen enough demonstrations enough terror, enough ugly, enough of that. We need some demonstrations of moves of God and we're in them. We're in them already as a church and the things we're participating in and the difference you're making in the community. But let's keep going. Let's let our love call us to do. Are you with me? The enemy will always challenge what God calls you to do. You feel like God's nudged you to do this and be this and say this and talk to this person. And then you're going to get another voice that tells you why you shouldn't or you can't. That's what's happening to him. He's hiding out in a cave because he's heard and believed things that says he's not a mighty man. He's not somebody who can assemble an army and he should hide out. But Jesus always calls us to our potential. I thought about Levi, the tax collector. And the scripture says that uh, the tax collectors, they're the worst of the worst. They can't even give testimony in court because of the type of people that they are and their reputation. Worse than the mob, worse than anything you can think of was the tax collectors. And here's Jesus, who people are, are believing as Messiah and the chosen one. All, and he walks up to one and he says this. Notice what he says. He says, come follow me, and then speaks prophetically about what that person's going to become. He says, come follow me in the state that you are. And he says, and you will be my disciple. He's saying, I know where you are now. I see what you're working with here. I see what you got, but you're good enough to come with me and the result of your obedience will be the thing that you need. Come with me and you will be a disciple. He spoke over him what he could be. So many times we say, oh, I think God's speaking to me and then I just look at what's in front of me and this is all I got and there's no way I can make it. 
Instead, we need to be people who God calls us into something. We look at what we have, but we also know that God has more for us ahead of us. And we take the step out and we go and we're not intimidated because the enemy is already having a nightmare about your obedience. Amen? Yeah. So you got to go forward. And so you see that the scripture says, blow your trumpet, call forth your people. And so 32,000 people show up to fight the Midianites with Gideon. So that's 32,000 people versus a half a million people. So the mighty man of valor who is hiding in a cave is already doing the math and going, are you sure? Are you sure? And then God says this, oh, by the way, of those 32,000 that you have in the half, against the half a million, make sure all of them that are afraid, make sure that they go home. Because any time that you let fear be in your life, it develops all of your negatives. Fear is the place that develops all of your negatives, right? So you live in fear and you live in fear and you live in fear. Turns out you've just developed all of those things you were in fear about. So he's saying, you can't have that. Send all of those people home. Because sometimes it takes more faith to stay in something than it is to leave. Oh, I'm going to just stick to it. I'm just going to stick to it. A lot of times people think they're real high and mighty because God's called them to the next thing. They start one thing. God told them to start. And then a little bit down the road, they come with this big road. God's called me on to the next thing. Sometimes I think the greatest form of faith is just to stay where you are and let God green up the pastures you're in. Just because you can jump the fence and go to the next thing. That, amen? Yeah. Psalm 23, 2 says, He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He's saying sometimes if you just, one of the greatest abilities is stickability. Just stay to it. Remain faithful. Just stick to it. And God's going to see you through. And so the fearful people leave, the stickability people stay, and he's probably at this point feeling like, all right, I don't know how we're going to do this. But it was through persistence. He stuck to it. I've heard it said like this. It was through persistence and through faith and through stickability that the snail made it onto the ark. But he still made it, right? He still inherited the same thing everybody else did. It doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get there. Amen. And so we got to be those people. Let's charge the gates of hell. Let's be faithful. Let's be on offense. Let's let our love call us into doing something. Amen. So now you're down to 10,000 people left. And God tells them to take them down to the river. He says, okay, you got your 10,000. The fearful ones have left. He said, let's take those 10,000. We're going to run one more test on them. Let's take them down to the river. And the scripture says, the ones there who cup their hands to drink the water, those will be the ones that can stay and be a part of this battle. So of the 10,000, as you get to the river, the ones that take a drink by cupping their hands, those are the ones who get to stay. And the reason I believe that's significant is because in order to give the enemy a nightmare, in order to make a difference and be somebody who charges the gates of hell, you got to be a person who has clean hands and empty hands. What do I mean by that? You live pure. You have pure hands. You have clean hands. You, you, you've washed them, you've cupped them, you have clean hands, but then you also have empty hands, meaning they had to lay down their carnal weapons in order to get to that riverbank and to cup and to take the water like that. That means they had to put down the thing at which they were secure in. I mean, no, that's a hard thing to do. You want to charge the gates of hell. You want to put the enemy on a run. You want to take your love into action and make a difference. We got to be people who are willing to say this, this carnal thing that I have, that I have trust in, I'm willing to lay down to be obedient to the way, are you with me? Our bank accounts we hold on to. 
We, we, we hope that it's the, the church who does the work or the pastor who does the work or the nonprofit down the road will make the difference. And we let those things be the things that make a difference. And instead, we need to find our own way. We got to put down our own things that we trust in and we have to clean hands, empty hands. Are you with me? Pure and empty hands is what we need. I thought about empty hands. Scripture says in Philippians 3.13, it says, Brethren, do not, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but the one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind me and reaching forward to the things that are ahead. You've probably heard me say this before. You can't grab hold of what God has in front of you if your hands are full of the things of your past. The reason you got to lay things down and cup, the reason you have to have empty hands is because you can't take hold of what God has for you when your hands are full of what he used to do in you. Oh, but the movement, we got to do it like that. And it was great when it was like this. And, we, and you've got this thing that you would rather see resuscitated instead of receiving the new that God has for you. Clean hands and empty hands. We got to empty our hands so we can receive what God has for us. I think about the hard part about empty hands, and, and I've experienced this many times in my life. The problem with empty hands is it feels like you have nothing to offer. You come to the, to the table or you come to the place that God called you to, and, and you've, you've laid down the things that you trusted in, or you laid down uh, the thing that you felt safe with or the, your comfort zones. You put all those things down, and you get to the place of vulnerability with God. You feel like you have nothing to offer because your hands are empty, but it's when we're down to nothing that God gets up to something, right? It's when we're saying, God, I want all of you. I'm not taking anything with me that's by my own hand. I want all that you have for me. Amen? The scripture says it was a loaf of barley bread rolling down the hill, which in this time, barley bread was what the poor people ate. And so I love this symbol here that, look, it's just a whole bunch of ordinary nobodies that God used to literally wipe out and do all that he called to do. Don't let your past, don't let what you used to be or what you think, don't say, oh, I'm just a barley bread type of person. God uses all of us, amen? And so they get there and they're having a nightmare. The whole time before, Gideon and, and his people, I wonder if they were worrying, and I wonder if we do the same thing. Why are we the ones worrying? Why are we the ones stressed? Why are we the ones having the nightmares about our future and what God can do and how he can provide? We need to be putting the enemy on nightmare. Amen? Do you get up stressed in the morning or does hell wake up stressed? I mean, we need to wake up and the moment you feel stress, the moment you feel pressure, you need to say, no, I'm the one. The scripture says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church and the body of Christ. Well, you're a part of that. So you wake up and you put pressure on hell. Amen? I'll close with this. God said, if you're going to bring the enemy a nightmare, it's going to require three more things. He told Gideon once they got down to just 300 people left, they weren't fear, fearful, they had empty hands, they had pure hands, and then he said, do this. He said, give them three things. These three things are also given to you in your life symbolically. He said, give them three things, a glass pitcher, a candle, and a trumpet. And he said, when I tell you, have them break the glass, then that light will shine, and then they're to blow that trumpet of praise. What does that mean for your life? It means for your life that when you're so surrendered and you're so willing to let God move in your life that when you're broken, even when you're broken, you're willing to be broken, you're willing to be shattered so that what? So that your light can shine. 
God, I'm so willing to let you do what you need to do in my life. I'm so willing to be sacrificed and lay it all on the line so that your light in me can shine. But then even after that, after you've been broken, after you've remained to let your light shine, you still have the willingness to let your trumpet of praise sound. You still can speak of the goodness of God. You can still speak that he never left me or forsake me, that he's always with me. Are you with me? That's what God's looking for. Those are the kinds of people that give hell a nightmare. Man, it doesn't matter if they get broken. It doesn't matter if it turns out the way they thought it would or wouldn't, and, but they keep shining that light and they keep blowing that trumpet. Of There's nothing that can stop them. I believe that intimidates hell. Amen? That's how we give the enemy a nightmare, is we don't let hell dictate how we feel. We be on the charge. We let love take action. We put pressure on the enemy's camp. Amen?